Nations for what it. You're listening to Talking Rugby with me, Matt Burke. G'day and welcome to Talking Rugby with me, Matt Burke. Now, today's guest has played sevens for Australia and he was selected for his first Wallabies tour before he'd even played a single game of Super Rugby. Quite incredible. He's also played in two Rugby World Cups for the Wallabies and has recently signed to play in the UK for London Irish. Now, my guest today is one of the nice blokes of rugby and he's helped us out recently on our coverage for the Rugby World Cup. Fipsy, g'day, mate. Hey, mate. What's going on? Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, we we're going to chat with you and talk about talk about footy. We're talking rugby, obviously. Uh, I've got to ask you a question, and, and this is for the perspective of people who have no idea about sort of what life is like to be a professional rugby player. Mm. Just what is life like as a professional rugby player? Is it tough? Is it good? Is it fun? Is it is it hard? It's it's honestly it's it's something that has the highest of highs, but then some of the lowest of lows. Like there's there's barely any grey area in that. It's um. It's unbelievable in the way that like you can go from such an amazing win one week to the next week having a bad loss and just it being unrelenting. It's you can just turn on the flip of the coin. Um, but in saying that, like there's there's you you'd get, you'd go through all the bad times for the the single good time. There's nothing better than sort of playing with your mates and performing with your mates and, and getting the job done as a team. When when it hits you on the bad moments, are you, are you reading the papers? Uh, because they, they, I'm, I've been there, they, they had an effect on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you know, all these so-called expert journalists nowadays just have no no filter. They just feel like they can write what they want, and it's pretty nasty stuff. Like, um, when I was younger, I definitely read everything. Like, when I was down here in Melbourne, actually, I used to read heaps of stuff. It was in the papers or whatever. I'd read it, and it just got to the stage where like you, you figure out that someone will always have say something bad to say about someone like mm. David Pocock best player in the world Michael Hooper best player in the world people still tee off on them like they'll find something yeah it is what it is so I learned just to ignore it so I, I wouldn't read a single thing I don't follow any rugby stuff on Instagram or Twitter like I just completely distance myself probably the worst people for me are my parents like they read bloody everything <laughs> even like my old man's like did you see what she wrote and you're like I don't care mate like and, and it, that's a message that I've tried really hard to get across to these younger younger blokes like there's you know we've got a couple of players in our Waratah squad um, you know Wallabies amazing back rowers and they would be blowing up if they weren't in the rugby.com.au team of the week for that week it's like mate who cares like <laughs> I think you're killing it you're doing a great job for the team you're doing all the tough stuff that no one really sees but they're judging their performance on what some person outside of the group has written about them. It's just, it's so, and all these young blokes coming through, like all these under 20s and stuff, it's only going to get worse yeah. for them. They've yeah, got to learn yeah. early that you just got to ignore that stuff. It, do you, it, your parents haven't been talking to my parents, have they? Because that's, <laughs> that's, that's what my old man's yeah. Did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear about Nick Phipps is, <laughs> is, uh, is so-and-so, so-and-so? And you go, mate, don't, don't read the yeah. paper. Like, yeah. it's not true. Mum, like, blowing up. Like, I can't believe she wrote that. And you're like, who cares? <laughs> Do you like- know my old man, early, early days, we had a guy called Terry Smith. And, um, and he wrote an article about me when I was about 17, I think yeah. it was. And, and it, was, it was so wrong. And, yeah. um, and my old man rang him up and said, <laughs> I, th- I think the, art- no, the article was something on the lines of, uh, he'll never play for Australia because he's, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. And my old man rang up and he said, 
I guarantee you he will play yeah. for Australia. Oh, and mum, how good. blowing up. Like, you know, just like... You love the loyalty, that. don't you? And the, oh, the support, but you're just like, it's all right. It's not affecting me. Yeah. Don't let it affect you. <laughs> talk about talk about loyalty. Your family, you've had... Uh, you, you grew up on a farm. You were at King's after that. I think your old man was a teacher there. Yeah. You had a grandfather who played for the Wallabies as well. Was there pressure to follow suit in that regard? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I think the pressure got lost on my old man who... <laughs> He, uh, he said he had a recurring knee injury while he only sort of finished about the 16 Bs. So <laughs> there was no pressure on me. Uh, but in saying that, we were like very rugby family. My mum and dad loved their rugby. Both sides of the family loved their rugby. My, I never got to meet my grandfather played for the Wallabies, but my great uncle I was quite close with, we still talk, big Jim Phipps. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in the sheds actually after the small game, which was nice to see him there. And... Um, yeah, it's a very proud history, and I'm just really lucky. I'm still extremely lucky to be a part of it. I, uh, I've done a couple of lunches uh, recently with, with yeah. Jim and then uh, Eric Tweeter. Yeah, they're thick as thieves, those two. They? They've got, like, one of their mates who's about 20 years younger who's, like, a minder for the both of them, and they just go to these lunches, I think, and have a few beers and just roll home. They're, they're, they're just absolutely loving it. And it's good to see that the older generation just... And they're blindly loyal, like they're yes. so passionate about Wallabies and they spoke after the game about how much they just love watching the boys play and, you know, it's really humbling to hear that from such legends like themselves. It, it's, and it's, it's good also for the fact that whatever we've been able to do, you sit and listen to their stories because oh. like, they're quite incredible. They're, 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 their tour that they went over to the UK and it took them, you know, I, I, said, to, I said to the boys... Uh, did you play like a you know fourteen game tour? And he goes, man, it took sixteen weeks yeah. to get there. So yeah. it's like wow. And then they're there for about a month. They play like forty games. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's funny. Like my gra- my great uncle goes, oh, what Wallaby number are you? And I was like, oh, eight fifty. He's like, oh, I'm you know one twenty or something. And that's right. Something like that. And I was yeah. like, oh my god. Like the generational just, yeah. gap is quite incredible. <laughs> um, tell us about the the next few stories of, of how you actually got to play for Australia because it's quite incredible. Yeah, it's it, it's definitely not the one that's. Uh, scripted nowadays for a lot of these young blokes coming out of school i was at school i was the the small kid you know i was 55 kilos for any, anyone that knows rowing i was the cox of the crew so like i coxed the first aid all the way up to year 12 and rowed in my last year so i was tiny and i loved rugby absolutely loved it but i was just small and you know enjoyed playing my footy i'd played first in my last year at school i was lucky enough to make the team there and i just really enjoyed it so you know when i left school and was going to uni i was like oh i wouldn't mind playing for sydney uni you know they seem like a good club you know i'll I'll see if i can make it and if i don't i'll just go play subbies so i rocked up and uh made the third colts team best time ever i met all these you know all these blokes who i'd played sort of in and around with through my school career and then you know i'm playing with all these you know Blokes that played under 16s, New South Wales with blokes from Endeavour High and Joey's and all these. And it was the best time ever. And when I was playing in that team, I was like, oh, I don't want to let these blokes down. So I'd train hard, which was sort of my, my thing was I'd train harder than anyone else. So that was fun. And then the next year I played first Colts and was lucky enough to make first Colts. I probably should have been dropped a few times, but had a great time. But at the end of that year, like when people talk about their big breaks, my big break was... I was at a 21st in the country somewhere and we started early so I was having a good time and Michael O'Connor, the sevens coach, called me that night and he's like, mate, we've had a few injuries in sevens camp, like we'd love you to come down and train with us. And at the time I was leaving for South America for like a three-month trip with a couple of my mates so 
my sights were firmly on different things at this mm. stage, mainly just surviving. And um, <laughs> he called me and the next morning he called again. He goes, oh, I'm just checking that you got my call last night. I sound like there's a bit on. I was like, yeah, mate, I'm good. I'll, I'll see you in a couple of days. And um, so two blokes got injured before that camp and Bernard Foley was in there and he was, I think he said to Michael O'Connor, he goes, mate, you should just get this bloke on hold pads. He's really fit. <laughs> he tries hard. He'll, he won't let us down. So you owe Bernie one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he owes me plenty more after oh, that, okay. don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, and then went to camp and just ripped in, did what I did. And then at the end of it, Mick's like, mate, you want to come on tour? So that was my big break. And we had all these unbelievably young players, like naturally talented, like James Steiner, Ed Quirk, mm. Liam Gill, Luke Moran, you know, just to name a few. And we did really well that year, which... Australian Sevens hasn't done in about 10 years. And then we went to Commonwealth Games. We got a silver medal. And then the next day I got told I was in the Spring Tour squad. So that was like, that was my big break because I went on Spring Tour and then I got the third spot at Melbourne Rebels, the rookie contract, the third halfback spot. And then it sort of all just went from there. And that happened within a year because I was playing third grade at Sydney Uni as well by the end of that year because yeah. I wasn't fit enough to play first grade. And then, uh, you know, forced my way into first grade for a couple of games. And it's just funny how all these little things sort of stack up if you're doing the little things right. So the stars aligned and, and you're now playing professionally. Yeah, yeah. And did you, did you feel overwhelmed at all, like, you know, being in amongst a professional outfit? Uh I think it just all happened so quick I didn't have time to be overwhelmed. Yeah. But it was, it was hilarious because day one I got in there and I wasn't playing super rugby, so I didn't know anyone. I just watched them on TV. And <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's too busy sort of out, you know, out of college on a Saturday night watching the boys up on the TV, glancing every now and then. But I didn't know anyone in there. And first day, Rocky and like, Rocky Elsom and Nathan Sharp came up and they just got around me these two old blokes and I was like this is the best and then I sort of got adopted into the young red squat group so like the Slipper, Simmons and Higginbotham and then I sort of held their coattails for a few weeks while we we're cruising around uh, Europe and you know that was sort of my induction into meeting all these legends that I loved watching on telly and then all of a sudden I was training every day with them and learning to be a real professional rather than some bloke still at college <laughs> what was that show called uh undercut not undercover boss it was like when they plant someone in the uh, uh they plant someone in the um in an working environment and trying to see if they're actually real or not we, we had a guy who turned up to newcastle and he was awful at, like he couldn't catch a ball and someone said are you part of that show is this one of those dodgy things yeah. it was like oh hang on i'm so, sure no one everyone was too nice to say that to my face i'm sure they'll probably think if i'm back um so uh Meteoric rise, if you if you call it that. Um, let's come through to now, and we've we've had you on on Channel Ten for the last you know little while doing some some commentary. How, which is fantastic. How disappointing is it though that you're not in this squad at the moment? Yeah, it's it's gutting because you work so hard and you plan so far ahead to be like you know rugby working for your cycles pretty much. So. You know, probably two years ago, I had an opportunity to go overseas, but I was like, nah, I love being in Australia. I want to go to the next World Cup. So, you know, everything, your life is invested in these, yeah. you know, these decisions at the end of the day. And sort of more so seeing them struggle just a tiny bit, not being able to be there to help out or be a part of it. Or, you know, you just think, gee, I wish I was there to help out and, you know, even just to get around the boys a bit. You know, they'll be really hurting now. They'll be, they'll be gutted and 
to not share that moment with them is really disappointing. But in saying that, like I'm really lucky to be, you know, welcomed on board by Ten, and I've just had the best time. Sort of, if I didn't really have this, I would have. It's given me a good distraction away from not being actually being there because mm. I get the opportunity to sit there and in, like help people, inform people back home what it's like, and that's what I love about sort of the Channel Ten free to air idea is that you're always getting the casual viewers. So these are blokes that of people that don't really what like they are do or die fans, but you can help them learn about the game a bit and tell them what the players are thinking. Mm. And you know, yeah, we had a you know tough game against Georgia, but these are the reasons why. Georgia got up for it and the Wallabies sort of were playing within themselves for the quarterfinals, stuff like that, which yeah. I really enjoyed doing. And also there's nothing better than sitting there uh, on the desk during the actual game and watching you and Gordy Bray, one of the absolute <laughs> greats, just operate like a well-oiled machine. <laughs> doing the best. Oh, by the way, I'm still contracted for a while, so don't take my job just yet. That's all right. um, <laughs> I think you'll be right, mate. <laughs> you, but you're, you're, off to, you're off to the UK. You're going off to London Irish. Yeah. Um, how, how did that come about? Was, it, was that a... Was that a decision that you you and your wife made together or yeah. was Waratahs all over? You'd done enough in Australia? Uh, a few things. Like um, you sort of, again, you look ahead. And at the time, I've been in Australia for nine years, loved obviously every minute. But I was like, I'm probably not going to make the next World Cup. Um, I'd hate to be... So are you, you know, a realist then, yeah, if that's the case? Yeah, realist, definitely. I'd hate to be, you know... Spend too long in the in the in a place like yeah. if you're not really performing. Like I'd hate, you know, to sign for two more years and stay, and then you know people are like oh you know he probably should have gone a year or two ago. Yeah. And I love the idea of challenging myself in a different environment. Like Premiership rugby and shoot, Super rugby is so different. Super rugby is a lot quicker. You know, uh, the travel plays a big uh, part of it, whereas Premiership is so physical, so you have to be so smart tactically. Uh, you know, you got big squads, a lot of games through the year, so it's a real different challenge that I'm so excited about. But it, it was at the end of the day, just you know, Wallabies travel 250 days of the year; they're on the road, um, and that's speaking as a Sydney bloke, where a lot of the camps are in Sydney. So mm. a lot of the other clubs, they'd be away a lot more. Mm. Whereas in England, you play in the furthest part of England, you bus back after the game, which is mm. awesome. So. Newcastle. It means I get to spend a lot more time with my family and little fella, and that sort of had a big part to do with it as well. Mate, you might want to stay in the turn. It's a good town. Yeah. Newcastle, good yeah, party town. overnight. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah my word. Do, do you know much of the English rugby? Uh, you know, I know that is it a – I went over there and, um, you know, they used to call it the superannuation payment. You know, like you're <laughs> finishing off over there, you know, pick up your coin. Yeah. And, and like you, I was too competitive not to, yeah. to play well. Yeah, well, that's the thing. But, look, I – you see people go over there and think it's like a holiday. Easy. Like, I'm not going over there to round out my career. I want to mm. go over there and dominate. Like, you got to mm. have that mentality when you're going over there. Like, good bunch of blokes, you know, historic club. There's like a lot of history in the in the competition, um, and the coaches there seem really great. Like Les Kiss and, and Declan Kidney, the director of rugby, they seem unbelievable. So I can't wait to rip in. Um, if blokes want to go over the holiday, then they can get out yeah. of the way because I'm yeah. sort of going over there to perform. Well, that's half time and such a good chat with Nick Phipps. Stay with us for part two. It's coming up after this. The Professor and the Hack. Accessible politics with just a touch of depth. I'm Hugh Rimmington. And I'm Peter Van Onselen. You can find us, The Professor and the Hack, wherever you find quality podcasts.
Welcome back. We're talking rugby with Wallabies scrum half, Nick Phipps. Uh, tell us about that success you had through Super Rugby with 2014, that win with the Waratahs. How, how was that? <laughs> yeah, it was unbelievable. Like, because I was at the Rebels for the three years before that. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to get an opportunity to come back to Sydney, be home. And it's just, on paper, you wouldn't say we're the best team at all. It was just the the way that the year shaped itself and the the sort of the chess pieces that check moved around to have the right people in the right areas. Like, who would have thought that getting Jacques Potgieter, like an absolute yes, maniac right. live wire, who wasn't even really doing that much in South African rugby, who would have thought getting him to Australia in the Tars would make every other forward in the pack harden up and be a dominant force? Like, is that what he did? Yeah, is he that, did. Is that what yeah. He had, and he, he, he played so hard and trained so hard that then you get people like Kane Douglas, like, no, I want to be that. And then, you know, Big Denno and, and Cliffy and even Hoylsey was putting shots on. Like, it was just, we had a big forward pack who rumbled and worked so hard and you know just little things like that absolutely shaped the year and you know even things like having mitch chapman and stephen hoyles like older blokes sort of right near the end of their career mm. last two years in footy just them even occupying space on the bench to really shape the squad and you know the experience they can bring on the end of the bench and end of games and stuff like that it's everything the momentum that we got towards when we went on that like nine or ten game winning streak and then you know you'd win the first game no one's that excited second game third game then yeah. you know, everyone's a little bit happy by the end of it the whole city the whole state was around it and it was unbelievable like, i lived in the pentagon with four the three other idiots of the team and one muggle people in the street who were probably office through the last two years having parties all the time were hanging tars flags out on their balconies and stuff and we, we thought we were flying under the radar incognito and all of a sudden the whole street's behind us and it was just the best feeling ever because as kids we used to come and watch so many games like bernard speaks so passionately about being the kid at the sfs trying to get autographs after the game like i was at so many of those games as well and loved the players but i guess we'll perennial sort of underperformers mm -hmm. like we didn't really reach our full potential in that way and to be a part of the squad that finally got there was pretty special now uh just a quick one the pentagon is a house that a mate of mine owned yeah and yeah. you guys lived in there yeah five blokes in there and about a two-bedroom joint yeah three yeah bedroom joint. we uh <laughs> threw our carpentry skills together i guess we're out of the house now we can spill the beans we <laughs> We had this fake wall upstairs for one of our mates that Hodgie lived in the front room. The lounge room was so big, we built a wall over the middle of it so we could make an extra bedroom. And we found a cupboard on the street and used that as the door. So you'd walk in, you'd see this big wall with a cupboard in the corner and you'd be like, oh, this is the room. But you'd open the cupboard doors and you'd go through to his room, <laughs> called it Narnia. And it was just so funny. The, 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 like, it was Bernard Foley, John o. Lance, Michael Hodge, me, and our muggle mate, Josh Coops. And the year, like the fun we had together, and all the players were always rolling through and saying good day, and a lot of the after parties and things like that were at our joint. It was, it's good fun. I'm, I'm glad your mate gutted the joint once we left because, geez, uh, if Walls could talk, he, he might want to raise it to the ground. <laughs> 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 he said to me one time, he goes, "Yes, mate, I've got a couple of blokes living in living in my joint at, at, at Bondi. He said, I think you might know them. It's like a guy called." I think it's like Phipps and Foley and, and the oh, which, yeah, how good's that? He goes, yeah, mate, they're having a good time. They're having a good time. Um, talk about Bernie. Uh, were you confident that he could knock that ball over in that final from 42, whatever it was, and, and knock oh, it over? Because that, that's basically what it, 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 
hung yeah. on that kick, didn't it? Yeah. And it was a kickoff afterwards, though, wasn't it? That was it. Yeah, kickoff just grabbed that and then Kibbo Kick kicked it out. it out. But um, at the time, I was like, I don't know if his little legs are going to have the distance here. <laughs> and his size eight boot, I didn't know if he had the power, but he'd worked so hard on his kicking and he'd been so surefire all year. Like, you knew he was just going to get that little extra 5%, 10% of his yeah. little trotters to put it over. And I think he's still dining out. I don't think he's paid for a beer in Sydney since. So it was uh, probably the most financially astute decision he's ever made. What, what about um, Bernie? You look at him now and, and he's, he's had a bit of a rough trot recently and, he's, and his kicking comes under scrutiny because yeah. he missed a couple. Uh, how, how do you, because you're tight and tight with your teammates, how do you feel for guys like that who are getting hammered in the media? Yeah, it's just, it's so easy to throw stones when you haven't really been there. Like, you know, you can definitely see that his confidence took a bit of a hit through the year because, mm. you know, he started the first game against South Africa and came into a red-hot South Africa team at home and they dusted the Wallabies and then I was like, oh, it's Bernard's fault. And then the next game he got against was Samoa, which, you know, wasn't the Wallabies' best team and he was slotted in there and we, we still won well. But it's like, oh, he didn't play that well. He didn't kick well, actually, that game. Mm-hmm. And then, all right, mate, we need to beat Wales, so in you go. It's like, you know, he's had, yeah. a, he's had, he's had a tough sort of slog through the year. But, you know, there's, the reason why people call him the Iceman, like, that wasn't started by the punter. That was started by, like, the players because he's so good in the big games and under pressure. And you've seen him stand up time and time before. Like, yeah. you feel sorry for not only him but other players through the squad where... Yeah, you know, it's just so easy to scapegoat people nowadays. Mm. Like sometimes you just come up against a red hot team who are better than you on the day, like Wales. Like yep. yeah, we didn't play that well, but Wales were good. Like yeah, they tick the box. It, it's like people think that oh, because they're Wales that they don't deserve respect. They're very bloody good. So yeah. what? You know, it's a lot of these players that they go through all these turmoil every week and working hard to try and put things into place to work, and sometimes they just don't work and. You know, you take your hat off to teams like that. You're just like, well done, you got yeah. us. Yeah, you feel for them, don't you? Mm. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, tell me, I want to ask you about Checker, and, and you were there at the start. Now, I, I believe there was a, 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 a situation when he first came to Waratahs that he sat you in a circle yeah. uh, and you basically boxed each other. Is, yeah. is that, is that, that was 2013, so mm. I'm lucky enough to have missed that. Oh, did you miss that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I've heard the story. So, and um, it was just, you know, him coming in and changing the dynamic of the group just wanting him to be hard and tough. Just to see how tough you were. Fight and, you know, not even, like he knew players were tough, but just like, you know, put put your balls on the line, let's go. And I think it was a hat with names in it. like, And then he pulled out two names, like, fight. <laughs> so, like, I think Horny got Johnny Illusia, and for those who don't know, Johnny Illusia is the biggest hooker of all time, this big islander, hands like sledgehammers. And apparently Johnny just put him to sleep, just <laughs> punched holes in him, horny sleep. Like, That's it, gone. In the days when concussion was a myth. like, And that happened right across the board. So there's mismatches everywhere. But, you know, he could see the smaller blokes putting up a fight against the much bigger blokes. Yeah. He could, you know, he could see two big blokes going at each other and see who flinches first. And if anything, it's a way of blokes sort of finding out a bit about themselves. Like, yeah. you know, I went toe to toe with, Cliffy Palo, like, yeah, I got put to sleep, but I didn't back down, stuff like that. Yeah. What was he like in in your preparations? Uh, is, he, is he meticulous in the preparation? Uh, is he um, is he inspirational? Because we heard about, you know, when you guys uh, 
lobbed up to the <laughs> final. He brought the golf clubs out yeah. and like the big driver and that yeah. kind of stuff. Like it, 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 it caught the attention of the players. Yeah, I, meticulous. I don't know if that's the word. He's the, the schemer, the master planner. Like he's just he's always thinking far ahead, and he's always got these little plans of things to do in place, and you know, just always moving chess pieces. Like the master, just the puppeteer, just mm. moving things around, and it always things come off like if i think he's a big believer in like if you've got the belief in something if you say this is going to happen like nine times out of ten it'll happen like and is that because the players were so invested yeah in him yeah yeah and and invested in what he was not selling but like believe, what he believed in and they were so invested in that then they started to believe in themselves like yeah you're right i am good like mm. i can do that i'm a dominant number nine in the comp like when players start to believe how good they really are it's, it's that is a powerful thing and when they start to get around each other and how powerful they are then you've got a unit that just will not be broken what about what through this world cup for example and and i sit there and i i'm i'm the old bloke you know and, and, and it's it's the Tweedle. yeah exactly right that's exactly right i feel about Same 90 team, i feel about 98 years old exactly right um but I, I look at the way they're playing at the moment and, and I suppose you can comment because you've been there and, and my, my frustration is it's, it's, not, it's not rounded enough as in, and, and I always say, I say in the commentary each week, they've got to have a kicking game mm. and, and, and they don't, but there's the belief in doing that. Has, has, it, hindered, has it hindered the, the game and the way Australia's playing? Uh, it's definitely not the rounded game and, and players and coaches know that. I think, um, you know, it's easy to sit there and be like, why are they not kicking out of their 22? Mm. Um, but there's just that und- under- underlying belief in something that they're just going to commit to it. That'll work, yeah. There's probably a stage during the 2014 Waratah season and then it probably again in 2016 for the Wallabies where it's like we're playing this style of footy well and sometimes like it's not working and it, it gets to the stage where you're like right do we just change things up and he said he runs this he's like what are we going to do we're going to change things up or are we just going to commit and just do everything better and it's so easy to just be like oh that's not really working let's mm-hmm. try something else but it takes real guts to stick to something and just be like right we're doing this and i think that's what they did so this whole last four year cycle was committing to that running style of footy yeah definitely we could have gotten better in the the kicking game and tactical kicks but when you're so committed to something like running rugby and then you get to sort of like two or three weeks ago this stage of your four year cycle and you know you haven't really done anything else you just got to you just got to double down on everything and commit mm. to it and i think that's what they did and in patches that game last night they were great like i loved that first 15 minutes they had yeah. them against the wall and they had all the ball they had you know they were putting pressure on them it's just those little things that let them down like two intercepts is just two tries and then you're dead like which is so easy to just give them the ball and defend the house down and, and play that style of footy but Czech became the coach he is through playing running rugby the, a lot of the players in Australia have become the players are because of committing to that running rugby and you live and die by the sword, don't you? Like, at the mm. end of the day, if you're going to commit something and it doesn't come off, then at least you're committed to something. What about the rest of this tournament as we go through next week? Uh, New Zealand taking on England. Yeah, um, how good. Who, who <laughs> well, let, let, let's talk about that to start with. Who do you think is going to win? Who, who, who's your prediction for, for that game? And then can they go the whole way? 
Oh, like it's tough to go past New Zealand, especially how clinical they were against Ireland. Um, but England have shown that they can defend. They, they can defend the house down. Like last night's game, they made 100 more tackles than Australia, which usually it's sap a team strength, something chronic. But they just kept turning up defensively. I think I think they might go back to Ford Farrell, 10-12. Um and Young's there, and if they can tactically move the Kiwis and make them uncomfortable, then it'll be a good contest. And you know, Eddie Jones is a master little schemer, little you know, crazy little man, just got things <laughs> up his sleeves and needling opposition and stuff like that. He's he's a great operator. You got to give him a lot of credit for what he's mm. done with that England team since 2015. He'll have a few things up his sleeve. Interesting. He said also last night after their press conference, they said, uh, you know, was it a decision to drop George Ford? Mm. He said, mate, we don't drop blokes with it we just use him in a different way and is yeah. that the way the, the game's going these days like working the 23 because i know yeah. you guys call them the finishers yeah well big time well that's probably what australia believed in when they'd keep rotating the halves so it doesn't matter who's in there the, the squad is strong enough to be able to just adapt um i think they just had to make a change with karevi they probably looked at karevi as one of the only real threats off a starting play and just thought right we're going to shore this up and if we can keep them on the ad line then that stems the next two or three phases and mm. you know Ford came on and and controlled the game well he kicked well as well those you know, midfield scrums where he just copped a straight off nine just poked in the corner every time like that's undefendable sometimes mm. and no, it is. they're very good operators and they, they've got to take they've got to make New Zealand uncomfortable which is incredibly hard to do but if they're going to win they've got to make them uncomfortable there you go how do you do that though yeah. how, how do you make them uncomfortable this current mob who are uh, Pretty red hot. You gotta, and it's so easy to talk about, isn't it? But <laughs> yeah, why didn't we do this years ago? Absolutely. I think you just gotta, you gotta play them in the in the game that they like to play. Like you gotta be smart. They were very smart last night. England around like when to give away the right penalties, how to slow the ball down, that sort of stuff. That would frustrate New Zealand a hell of a lot. Mm. Um, and also just back England, they gotta know their strengths. They gotta know that. They've got a really good set piece, you know, and scrum line out. They've got a really good tactical kicking game and the ability to put pressure with big wingers that are getting over the other wingers and stick to that game and defend the house down, which they did well last night. Uh, where does Fanger come from? Oh, it's, it's my old man's nickname. Well, you inherited it? Yeah, I did, because he was a teacher at King's growing up. And his nickname at school was Fanger because he was so strict and he used to drive around the school in his tiny little Tirana or something full speed. So they used to call him Fanger. As and, in fanging around the corner? Yeah, fanging around the school. <laughs> and then um, I grew up, so I was like two and three walking around, stumbling around the school and just little Fang. And then it just stuck. And I could never escape somewhere where no one knew that. So like when I was in year six and Dean Mum and Hangalahu and... Ben Robinson and all those blokes were playing first 15. I was still fanging to them. And then when I started playing footy at uni, I had mates from school and those guys in first grade calling me fanger. And it just always went, went, on, went straight into the Wallabies, fanger straight away. Like it's so, it, I, don't know, I don't know if my, my missus likes it too much, but I don't, <laughs> think, I don't think my son will be getting fanger junior again. She won't let that happen. Fanger junior. It's been a good little nickname for hold me through years. Tell me, um, tell me about touring. Uh, did you enjoy going away from uh, away? And, yeah, could you stick? Yeah. I, I don't think you would have got the big eight-week tour, though. Would you? Would you have done, like, a... My first one was six, 
so that, like, that was the last time we really had we had two midweek, midweek games. games as well. Yeah, right. How did you enjoy those? Loved them. As a young single bloke, <laughs> first time meeting all these heroes and playing rugby, it was the best. Like, and I love long tours. Tour, tours are great. Like putting your family aside. Like it's it's great being on the road with a lot of your mates and working hard and during the day, and then you know finding a bit of mischief later at night. Like. There's nothing better than that sort of experience of going around the world. And do they do they need to bring it back? Because I'm looking at and you talk about club rugby and how you came through that sort of through Colts and then club rugby. A lot of the guys don't experience that these days. They come from sort of school into mm. a, into the system, and they go to the top and they and they they miss out on what a lot of what have, what have yeah. I did and what have, what I, you did as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I was thinking about that this morning actually, like. Be interesting to see out out of the like the Wallaby squad how many of them have actually played club footy in the last five six years. Mm. Like I played last three years um, at the Tars. I played a few games a year. This year I played eight. A few games every year. Coming back through injury or you know having a bye week or something like that. Played at Sydney Uni and is the best experience of my year because you know you're playing good footy. It's grassroots. There's people on the hill having beers, spraying you. Like it's a lot of fun and. At the very least, like, not that I did anything special with Sydney Uni, but I just got around fourth grade, third grade, second grade, met met the Colts. All of a sudden, I'd have 150 new, just passionately, blindly loyal supporters mm. that you'd not get picked in the team. They're blowing up. You get picked in the team. They're right behind you. Like, I don't know if we're, we're doing that enough. It's is it? I don't know. Like, and mm. you would have loved playing for Eastwood. I don't think you can go straight from school into a professional team. I think yeah. you got to have that realism of grinding out. Tuesday, Thursday night training. It's like, it's like you an know, apprenticeship. Paying your subs. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> you right. You know, that sort of stuff, having a pie before the game, stuff like that. Um, I'd like to see a lot more of it, and that's why I think we should bring back more of those midweek games because it's so much easier to blood players in those midweek games than it is to give away cheap caps just to see how they go, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. Like, Not that I'm saying people are like devaluing the jersey or anything, but you, know, you could blood... 10, 11 young players in a midweek game against Leicester, which I played in 10 years ago. Mm. And then, you know, if they do and, really and well there, and then train well and do, do the right thing, then they can earn a cap rather than like, oh, we'll give him a, a cap and see how he goes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, best touring moments? Best place you've been? Oh, it's, it's pretty special at like a, a Twickenham or a Millennium Stadium. Packed over in Northern Hemisphere because you guys, you guys basically ran Twickenham as your home ground in 2015. Yeah. We had something like seven games there in a row and started calling it our home ground. And it's funny <laughs> you call it the, you know, you play in Australia and play in those stadiums, but you know, look, the home of rugby is in England. So, you know, you call it the Ministry for Magic was the term when we were at World Cup over there. That's that's the grand, the grand place where you play. And yeah, the, they do it really well over there. Like they. They encourage people to be there a couple of hours before the game, have a few beers, live entertainment. Then you go to the game, and then after the game, people are around for three or four hours. We're here in Australia; they're sort of kicking out half time, half time in the second half to mm. get home. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and, and as you find, it's it's a it's a completely different experience when you go over to the UK mm. and, and you play your club footy and you and you'll play. Uh, you know, hopefully get down to finals and sort of European stuff. It's mm. it's quite incredible. The support mm. over there is, is absolutely huge. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, what about uh, you, you fit the profile of a 
classic number nine, niggly <laughs> on the field there. Do you, do you, do you, chatty. Yeah. Point, pointed. <laughs> is that what it is, chatty? Yeah, just Just, just reminding people yeah. of what's the go. Yeah, especially the refs. Yeah. <laughs> How do you get on with the referees? Nah, good. I was probably a bit naughty when I was younger, like just let my passion get over and give them a bit of a spray. But I don't know, it's, you grow up and you, you figure out that spraying them is not the best thing to do, but <laughs> working good. with them is way easier. And that's sort of something that every young player needs to learn, especially a nine. It's If you can keep your cool head in those situations and, you know, later down the game, you'll get those 50-50 calls. I remember you picked up a boot one day. Someone's boot came off and you picked up and you pegged it oh, off the International green. incident of the last decade. <laughs> against who? What was New it? Zealand. Against New Zealand. I threw right. a boot 10 metres and people were like, <laughs> no mate, he should be put in jail. He could have <laughs> poked someone's eye out. I was like, it barely reached the dead ball line. <laughs> we were on the try line. That's but, great. Yeah, that was, that was just like a... I spur that the boot was there and I threw it. And I, like at the time, I was thinking, oh, you know, this is a bit of harmless fun. You see the leagueies do it all the time, Always. like James Maloney and stuff. And yeah. people are like, oh, that's so funny. I, like, I do it in a union game and it's the worst thing ever. And I'm still getting sprayed for it. But <laughs> it's funny. All the boys still find it the funniest thing they've ever seen. <laughs> do, you, do you find it, um, do you find it in that nine role uh, about getting on the opposition skin as well? Just to. Remind them, talk to them, tell them what they're doing right, doing wrong. Yeah, it's it's not really about being under the skin. Like, you don't want to be a total tosser on the field, but you can you can have funny little little chats along the way, which sort of they come back at you a bit as well, and they nothing nasty, but you can just be really cheeky and have yeah. a lot of fun with the opposition. And then if you're having cheeky little chats to the front row when they're packing in, and you know, really have no idea what you're talking about, but you're like, Mate, keep your bind up on this one, eh? Like just little things like that, and they <laughs> they just shake their head, knowing that they could eat you if they wanted to. But it's uh, it's all part of the good fun. And when you get in a good little chatty battle with like an opposition nine or something, there's nothing better. It's, re- it's really, really funny. And you get the forward pack sort of just listening to what's going on, <laughs> knowing full well there's a real sparring session going on. <laughs> I love it. Uh, tell me, who was your toughest opponent throughout, the, throughout your time? Who was your toughest number nine? And then who was a bloke you just didn't want to play against? Uh, toughest nine? Um, no, Aaron Smith's very good. Um, Faf, hard to control. Mm. It's funny, you don't really come across your opposite nine too much. You, it's not like you clash of the Titans 12 on 12 sort of stuff. Mm. It's uh, You don't really see a lot of the nines. Um, mate, honestly, like the opposition you just don't want to come up against is sometimes when you play New Zealand, you just you just know it's, it's going to be so fast-paced and it's going to be so full-on that you, one little slip sort of is a try. And mm. You play teams like that and you, you know, you're on your toes the whole game and and when they're always, like when both teams are skirting, just pushing that letter of the law all the time and holding nines and pulling back and being really smart around the breakdown, you, know, you just know it's going to be a tough night. You're, you're going to leave Australian shores now and uh, you've, you've done your test matches, I imagine. Um, yeah. As you said, you're a realist, perhaps not looking ahead to another World Cup. Where, does, where to for Australian rugby from now? From your perspective as, as a guy now who's leaving, um, and with a whole bunch of guys as well now going, how, how, do, how does Australia get better in the next period of time? Well, you know, there's a lot of expert journalists calling for heads to roll. That you know, I think uh, what you were saying before about what I was chatting before about they just they need to take time. They don't, they can't make any rash decisions. And I think you know, Czech will he'll go. Like he's he said he'll go. He'll he'll go. He just needs a bit of time to 
you know, let it sink in and give it the right moment to say the right words, like to mm. really express what it means to him. Um, you know, but you sometimes worry that the like the the issues are higher up, and so the problem is when you're so high up, it's, there's no real accountability sometimes. So, you know, hopefully there a lot of them people like that are thinking in a four-year cycle as well. Like, you know, I've done my bit, I've done my best for. You know, and that, there's no saying they've been straight like they've been great servants to Australian rugby, but maybe it's time for a breath of fresh air and you know for people to to you know make the concerned decision to step aside and let the breath of fresh air come in with a new coach, you know, new staff, mm. um, stuff like that, which could it would also really like get the Australian supporter back on board. Like this is fresh, let's go, rather than you know holding on and thinking you can change the world. Yeah. Uh, just quickly, mate, finally, your, I had a look at your statistics, your rugby union statistics, <laughs> 180 centimetres tall and 88 kilograms. Is That's there a bit it. of GST on that? Or oh, what? yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Always. Mate, yeah. Maybe with a backpack on, I'll be 80, 80, <laughs> 88. No, you've, you've always got to fluff up your stats. You should see Bernard Foley. Like, he's shorter than me. And you ask him how tall he is, and he'll, like, within a split second, 183, mate. 183. 183, because that is six foot. That's six foot. So he on. likes to think that he's six foot. I'm like, mate, mate, maybe with your 21 studs in, like, in the front row. <laughs> it, it seems like you've got a good relationship with but, uh, one B Foley. Yeah, he's a good he's a good little man, a little pig. But in the, on the other side, you get players sort of taking weight off, like yeah. some of the big boys. I still remember Tankelli Nairavoro, mm. big unit on the wing, one of the best blokes ever. And he'd come back and the coach would be like, think he looks a bit big and be like, oh, how much do you weigh? And he'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, 125, 125. And like, oh, he's like, I want to lose a couple of kilos. And they're like, yeah, good man, yeah, keep working hard. That's not too bad. And then say that for a few weeks and eventually it would take one of the S&C to be like, actually, mate, can you just stand on it for me? And he's like, $1.36. <laughs> Solid. <laughs> he's just been getting by, floating under the radar for a while. Well, you, you'll be playing against him. Yeah. He's over there. Hopefully and not. killing it. Hopefully not. Well, yeah, hopefully someone in front of you tackles him. He's actually, he's killing it over there. And there's so many Aussies sort of littered through uh, UK rugby at the moment. You know, Luke Morahan scored a double for Bristol last night. And, yeah. You know, there's a few coming over to my team, a few ratbags coming over to my team as well. So, you know, there'll be a good little Aussie contingent over there and... Thing is, you know, all the Aussies over there will still be the number one Wallaby supporters, and they'll yeah. they'll still have a lot of love back home. So, well, there's a full time whistle, Pipsy. You're off the hook now, mate. Thank you so much for the chat, and also for being a part of our commentary team during this World Cup. You've given us some great insights to this current playing group. Quite incredible. Too easy. Now, good luck to you and your family, mate, with your stint in London Irish. Uh, I'm sure you'll have so much fun, and you'll do so well. Hope to see you back in Australia pretty soon, mate. Good luck. Thanks, Berkey. Oh, yeah. Cheers, mate. Now, the Rugby World Cup final is almost upon us, and who better to chat with than the man who has been at every single one of them? My special guest next week is my co-commentator and the voice of rugby, Gordon Bray. This will be quite incredible. He stitched me up a couple of times, too. You've been listening to Talking Rugby with me, Matt Burke.